Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. Live streaming and worship, Zoom and Bible study, outreach and TikTok? For the average congregation, we used to think, never the twain shall meet of any of these twain. Of course, well, that's not the case. If you work at a church now, you'd better be on your iPhone and Facebook game. If you're ordained, you had better know how to use a tripod, right? A couple of weeks ago, we started a series on what's being called hybrid church. If you check out the latest issue of the magazine, you'll also see some great articles on this topic. What is hybrid church? Should we embrace it? Is it theologically sound in part or in whole? Who seems to be responding to it? And then we have practical questions like, which technologies might work best for my context and how? The last time we interviewed the Reverend Tim Skank. He's a parish priest at St. John the Evangelist in Hingham, Massachusetts, and he was an early adopter of digital ministry. Today, we talked to someone who had or has a few more doubts about the whole thing and whose journey might be helpful to other digital ministry skeptics. The Reverend John Mason Locke is rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Red Bank, New Jersey. Father John was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's also served at All Souls Episcopal Church in Oklahoma City, and he is passionately committed to traditional Anglican worship and liturgy, with a particular respect for the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Hey, yo! And this is his story, his words of advice for rectors and other church leaders for how and why to adopt digital techniques for ministry today. And he also gives his theological take on why it might still be good to keep the side eye on all this hybrid stuff so our tendency to avoid the challenges of embodied experience doesn't get out of control. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
Father John, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. I'm flattered to be part of this conversation and hope that maybe I have learned some things that might be helpful to others as we continue to wrestle with this new age of uh, doing church. Well, before we jump into that topic specifically, can you just tell me really quick, how are things looking where you are? Has your social life opened up anymore lately? No, th- th- things are definitely easing up here. Um, you know, we the governor just ordered uh, people to be allowed to, to forego the masks if they're fully vaccinated. And so a lot of businesses are returning to normal operations. The bishop and the reopening committee in our diocese has sort of followed the line of the CDC and uh, the governor. And we're actually now allowed to do all kinds of things that we didn't think we would be able to do as of even a month ago. So we're doing Mm. congregational singing, Mm. masks are are optional, uh, social distancing requirements have been eased. And for that reason and others, I'm finding I'm meeting more with friends and uh, enjoying time with them. Now, what is your community like in Red Bank? And and what are the contours of your ministry there? Well, Red Bank is really in the New York City metropolitan area. Um, we're, we're sort of at the far edge, but we're most definitely in that metropolitan area. So we've got a good number of people that commute into New York City or to northern New Jersey, Newark or Jersey City, Hoboken. And, um, you know, I think it's a kind of place that for many is a bedroom community. We also have a very sizable Latino community, primarily from uh, Mexico and El Salvador and here in Red Bank. And it's also sort of an up and coming trendy area. So we've, we've got a lot of new constructions, new apartment buildings, new condos. Mm. And it's sometimes built as like the new Hoboken where people are going to come. They'll you know be able to do their shopping in town and then be able to take the train or the ferry into Manhattan for work. You know, we're, we're the kind of church that really is a slice of life. You know, it's not just the, the 60 or 65 plus, uh, we really do sort of have uh, engagement from from all ages. And mm-hmm. um, and it, it is, as you say, a lot of professionals, uh, families. There's a good number of retirees that we find, you know, in our particular context that because of the cost of living in New Jersey, that when people get to a certain age, they want to retire, they actually end up moving away to the middle of the country or the south. And so that's that's one of our challenges in growing is ah. we tend to lose families every year to, uh, to, you know, the inability to retire to this state in the state. That's fascinating because a lot of um, Episcopal churches are aging, but you're saying we miss the older folks because they're all leaving. We wish that they would stay. That's an interesting kind of flip. From, well, from- know, the reality is, and you, you know this from your church experience, but the retirees are often the people who not only have financial resources to help, but also have the time to commit. Mm -hmm. uh, And the stability as well. Yeah. So anyone from Red Bank who is Episcopalian who's listening right now, just just know that you are wanted in Red Bank, New Jersey. (laughs) Don't flee to Ohio too quickly. (laughs) Now, Father John, um, part of your biggest passion in ministry, as I understand, is traditional Anglican liturgy and worship. So, for example, you're a big fan of the old 1662 BCP. And your ministry is formed around old stuff, if I may put it that way. So how did you come to wrestle with hybrid church? Pretty much as soon as the pandemic came, we we jumped on to doing uh, various things 
on Facebook. Though I found that there was a need to adapt it. You know, that you really couldn't just do a, a normal communion service, for example, and have that be a, um, a meaningful service that someone could engage in virtually. Uh, so we always did anti-communion, you know, the first part of the communion service, the liturgy of the word, uh, which sort of make, made sense to me. And then we were doing things during the week, the weekdays, did a, a daily devotion. And I know a lot of people, a lot of clergy did morning prayer. To me, it just, again, there's a sort of interaction that needs to happen with uh, those services. So I would, for morning and evening prayer, I would read the lessons and sort of give a, try, try and give some sort of encouragement from that lesson that people could really uh, grasp onto in those early days when I think there was a lot of confusion and uncertainty and fear out there. Uh, so I was trying to be a little bit more direct in speaking to people. So I would say it was sort of a creative, adaptive use of the liturgy. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it was not terribly traditional, but the assumption was that it was a, a need in the present moment. It was not something that would be normalized forever. I'm thinking here of this sometimes tension for rectors between the needs of a congregation or even just the desires and the longings of a congregation during the pandemic and now post-pandemic, the tension between the needs and the theological underpinnings, um, you know, what is worship? What happens when we gather? Are there things that can't happen if we don't physically gather? Could you talk a little bit about what that journey was like for you. So I'm specifically interested in some of the kind of hurdles or some of the turnstiles, maybe that's a better way to put it, that you had to go through to figure out what would work for your folks. Right. I mean, I think it was Tevia who said, you know, you can only bend so far. I can only bend so far before I break. And mm -hmm. so there were certain things that, it, you know, we were just not comfortable with. Uh, for example, certain forms of virtual consecration. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with uh, sort of putting things into little baggies or packets or putting the sacrament in the mail, but the word of God is, is free. And so, you know, I think as you probably gathered from my comments, it really, I really stress the word, uh, the written word uh, in, the, in the pandemic. So, you know, the lessons, hearing the lessons from the, uh, the Eucharistic propers, uh, giving a solid sermon on those, uh, trying to do something daily that would uplift people. Uh, so there, there were certain things that were off the table from the start because it just didn't fit uh, an Anglican, as I understand it, an Anglican uh, understanding of the sacrament and the sacramental action that requires the gathered people together. Uh, but there are other ways that I, I felt that we, you know, clergy should freely adapt and take the opportunity in the moment to to minister to folks and and be uh, be present with the the word of God to give people uh, the word of God uh, which we all hungry hunger for. So what I'm hearing is that your way of discerning what is appropriate, um, what is um, building up the body, what's ministering to your people, is uh, discerning between the the ministry of the word and and sacramental ministry that. Um, cannot be reproduced in a digital space. And so the area of exploration, of creativity, of freedom um, for you really comes in in the ministry of the word. 
I asked this question in part one of the episode, and I'll ask you too. I think this actually answers my question. So I asked in the first part of, of this episode, how do you respond to someone who says, we are sacramental people, real ministry cannot be done digitally? Um, have you had anyone give you pushback even about the liturgy of the word? And as you're approaching now the ministry of the sacraments in this time, as moving forward into the future, how are you thinking of the ministry of the sacraments as you continue to offer a hybrid model of worship? Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely ways that real ministry can be uh, effectively done digitally. You know, so I want, the obvious example for me is the daily devotions that I started, uh, and you know, we're, we're consistently having five to ten people uh, tune into that, and uh, you know, it's not a, a huge number. I'm not, I'm not going to become a televangelist tomorrow, but in all honesty, you know, before the pandemic began, if I had a service of morning prayer, I'd be happy if I had one or two other people with me, and probably more than half the time. I was by myself. So we've been able to engage people with daily reading of scriptures in a way that just had not been achieved prior to the pandemic. I don't know what it looks like to to go back to morning prayer or how to adapt. I haven't quite figured out how to, to crack that nut, but clearly that there's been a win there. And even just sort of talking to the people that have engaged with that, they just feel so much more saturated with the scriptures and uh, so much more engaged with with Bible study. The fact that people did have that response, have that level of engagement is encouraging. On the other hand, and this is a big but, uh, there's a whole, we've experienced a whole diversity of responses to the pandemic and digital ministry has been far from a panacea to the challenges that we've confronted. Some were happy to watch online and uh, others, however, this, they refused. And the most interesting observation about those who really didn't watch online was that they tended to be younger. We, hmm. we found consistently that families, couples, uh, families with children really didn't engage with online options. Uh, That's fascinating. Do you have any insight as to why that might be? I mean, I think kids were doing a lot of them were doing remote learning at school. So, you know, imagine the, your child doing remote lear- learning for four or five, six hours a day. And then you come around to Sunday and say, well, we, now we've got another Zoom thing to do, another Facebook thing to do. And there just wasn't that that impetus there for people to engage with it. You know, they were sort of they were sort of tapped out. And, mm. you know, theologically, we, of course, we try and teach people that, you know, we give our best to God. Uh, we, get, we give God off the top, not not what's left over. Uh, but it's in our in our fallen human nature, which sometimes we we do that. You know, we we sort of uh, we don't have the bandwidth for for it at the end, and that's what tends to fall away. And <laughs> you know, we, we we found that about I would say whatever quarter a third of the people in the congregation just really didn't click with digital or online worship. Hmm. So as much as as much as a quarter or a third of your folks were not connecting to streaming services and joining Bible studies and devotionals and times of prayer online. As someone who is in my 30s, I I do identify very strongly with the Zoom fatigue 
um, and even things that could possibly be nourishing, like opportunities to connect with people from my church uh, as opposed to sitting home alone another evening. I found many times I would just prefer to read a book uh, because my eyes hurt, my brain hurt. I didn't want that blue light in my eyes before bed. During the day, I have to say that there was a kind of emotional, there was a kind of depression that would set in um, if my only option for attending church and in a way was digitally. It, it tended to be, I remember the first time, Father John, that I attended one of these morning prayer services um, that, that uh, one of our priests led. And it was very early on in the pandemic. And it really hit me at the very end of morning prayer. Um, he lifted his hands for a blessing. And I lifted my hands <laughs> like, like to receive it. And I um, burst into tears because I felt so sad and I felt so depressed that this is what this was now. Um, so I don't know necessarily that having feelings of depression or disappointment are, are generationally um, determined, but, but maybe that's just some information to throw out there to folks who might think that uh, in terms of, of millennials versus boomers, et cetera, et cetera, that it's the, the younger folks who are really excited and eager to do things online. Maybe that's just not the case. I think that if people are young people, younger people are coming to church, they're coming for the reasons that we have something that's truly unique that we can't get elsewhere. You know, you can you can get a much better screen experience watching a movie or watching something right. on Hulu. Or <laughs> right. right. The quality of our liturgy online is not <laughs> not to be compared with that, right? If you want a really cinematic experience and you want all your priests to be extremely attractive, watch a PBS series about, right. um, watch a period drama, a, you know, English period drama or a murder mystery starring a priest and you'll get a much better user experience. The Association of Anglican Musicians is a professional organization of nearly a thousand musicians, clergy, and friends of the Anglican musical tradition serving the Episcopal Church today. And they are seeking to appoint a full-time executive director to manage the administrative, communication, and advancement roles of the association. The executive director should have a strong affinity for and understanding of the goals and aspirations of the association, as well as the culture and structures of the Episcopal Church. The position is full-time, with competitive salary and benefits, location is negotiable. Request more information or send a letter of interest and a resume by contacting the incoming president of the AAM, Sonia Sutton, at ssutton at anglicanmusicians.org. That's S-S-U-T-T-O-N at anglicanmusicians.org, no later than August 1st. I do still have a question about sacramental ministry and whether you see or sense any changes coming or any options opening that seem theologically okay to you or even exciting, new opportunities that this time has opened up um, for sacramental ministry, or are you looking toward returning more and more as much as possible to the way that it has always been done. Yeah, I, I guess I'm sort of closed-minded about that. I, I just don't think that uh, sacraments are something that we can faithfully administer on online. I mean, maybe counseling and, and perhaps the, 
the rite of uh, confession that maybe that could be done privately mm. in a uh, you know in a long distance form. But um, I just don't think that the elements are there to have uh, you know an appropriate communion or an appropriate baptism for that matter. And for my thing would be is we don't want to normalize what was put in place for emergency use. Made total sense to, in my mind, to put in the in place some of the practice practices that we did, having virtual church, trying to engage people online, that kind of thing. Even knowing that we weren't catching everybody, uh, I don't think there's in my mind there was no question about whether or not we do it. Uh, but again, I I think it's not something we want to normalize uh, going forward uh, because it, it so undercuts local ministry and the local congregation. And, and to my way of thinking, it undercuts the essence of what the sacraments are all about. So is your approach going to be to wean your congregation off of some of these digital tools over time? Which ones do you think you're going to keep for the time being? And which ones are you thinking, well, maybe let's wean ourselves off or let's only use for emergency purposes? What What's your approach there? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I haven't totally figured it out. Um, but, you know, it's still, we're not quite post-pandemic yet. Right. Um, and I continue to wrestle with these things. There's, there's some really good reasons to continue some form of virtual worship. I think the best reason that I can think of is that you might have homebound folks that really are just not able to leave home. It's not that they don't have a ride, uh, but that they're just not mobile enough to get out of the house. And if they're able to access the service that way, and that's an uplift for them. I think that's great. I mean, so often you and I both know that so often people, they get to that point and then they basically fall off the church's radar. And, uh, you know, I think this is a way potentially to keep them engaged. I think there are a whole lot of other issues or challenges that we invite on ourselves if we continue to, to emphasize uh, virtual church. It's not going to be so much weaning as, as much as de-emphasizing uh, virtual church going forward. People coming back to church. I, I had one of my dear, dear parishioners who's a wonderful man. He's, he's, I think he's one of the most humble people I know. And he, he said to me, because he hadn't returned to, to in-person worship, and he said, well, it's, it's a, le- a little easier just to watch from home. And he said, quite honestly, I'm just being lazy. <laughs> and I just loved it. I thought, that's, uh, that's my friend and, and, and dear parishioner, and he's just owning it, you know. Uh, uh-huh. And a couple of weeks ago, he did, he did return to in-person worship. But I think we do sort of incentivize uh, people watching remotely for the wrong reason. That mm. um, they, they just don't feel like getting up and you know, they're missing out on all of the the wonderful things that come out of worship in person. So you have a concern about people getting a little too comfortable and cozy with online options um, for worship and engagement if they don't need them necessarily. They're able to come to church. They're able to engage in person. But it sounds like your strategy is not to just sort of like whip the blankie off um, or or take away the, the comfort um, but just to say, yeah, we're, we're continuing to offer this, um, but you know in your mind who this is specifically for, which would be um, the homebound, moms at home, moms and dads at home with new kids, the elderly people in nursing homes, et cetera, um, and that you, you are going to, on the other hand, just continue to celebrate 
the sacraments, the people are going to continue to gather on Sundays in the church, that um, sounds like maybe you're relying on the work of the Holy Spirit to be working in, you know, it doesn't sound like you're planning to apply any pressure to folks or make them feel guilty or bad um, or calling them lazy or whatever, but but you're maybe hoping that that um, the worship itself and the knowledge that that there is something more than what they can experience online, that that would be attractive enough to them to to pull them back in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this just sounds sort of critical and maybe you'll have to edit this out later. <laughs> but we'll see. I do hope in, in a certain sense that it, will wither on the vine that as people get more comfortable, you know, we have people that are still watching remotely because they're still afraid, even though they're vaccinated. Mm. And that's, I think part of the fear and the trauma that we've come through. Yeah. And, right. You know, yeah. hopefully as we work through those, those feelings uh, that they'll be able to rejoin in-person worship, uh, which I think that they want to do again, but that, that fear is, is an obstacle right now. Um, so, you know, I'm, I do think that it'll sort of gradually in our congregation, at least, it'll gradually grow of lesser importance. And may, maybe at even some point we'll cease doing it altogether. Um, you know, I think we also need to, as I brought up in a recent covenant post, we also need to think about how emphasizing virtual church might impact people's taking that step of faith to find a new church when they move away. You know, I mentioned earlier in our conversation how, you know, we have a fair number of retirees who move away. And it's so tempting to be like, oh, well, you know, just watch our thing online, you know, and then you could still send your offerings here and be sort of, uh, you know, on the books. And that's just so not good for people's spiritual health. They need to take that step of faith, find a local community where they can be, uh, where they can be known and loved and where they can know and love others. And where people and, can irritate you, know, you in person. Well, I think the, the church is a school for love, right? And if we're learning how to love, it means we have to put up with people that are maybe a little different from us or that get on our nerves, uh, that annoy us, vex us. And that's, to me, that's what church is all about, uh, is that, you know, we have to be with people that maybe stretch us a little bit. It, it occurs to me that there could be an option which people might, parishioners might choose for a while, especially if you have snowbirds or parishioners that that retire and move away and live somewhere else. Um, this is something that my grandparents did during the pandemic and their snowbirds when they were in Florida. They attend, my father's a pastor. They attend his church when they live in Ohio half the year. And um, they love my dad's church. And they have a small church just down the road from where they are. That's also part of their denomination in Florida. And that one's can be a little more difficult. They maybe have a little more of a complicated history there. Um, but I, I saw them engage as much as they could. And it's a lot of older folks. So they were, I think, very pandemic cautious to actually attend church in person. But I watched them engage the church and engage their neighbors as much as they could in Florida. But then when they just wanted a little <laughs> like easy refreshment or sort of bonus church, if you will, they would watch church online. So um, I wonder if some people might, I have to say on holidays, I, I love to just tune into what's up at the Vatican um, or at a friend's church who lives across the country, um, as well as attending my own. So I wonder if there will be a little bit of a, a, a bonus aspect um, to people doing that. Um, but of course, the main concern is here being a parishioner at a place that's local. Do you have a plan for helping folks 
who maybe don't live in your local area who have started to tune in. Yeah, I mean, like you, I, I think it's not all bad. You know, sometimes there is pe- people who might be watching from halfway across the country might have a, a good reason for it. Um, and it's, it's also sort of interesting to see what, what other people are doing, you know, just to sort of tune into uh, a new church or new liturgy. There, there's no doubt as well that it's a great kind of soft marketing tool. You know, people, they want to learn more about your church, and it's a way of them sort of peeking in through the window and getting a sense of, okay, is this a place that I could see myself at? I do think pastors need to encourage uh, parishioners who are habitually watching remotely to think about finding a new church home. I mean, maybe now is not the opportune time as we're all sort of coming out of a, a, a you know stressful time. Uh, but you know, I think there's a sense in which it's not good for people's souls uh, to be attached to a church where they really can't engage in the sacramental, the communal aspects of, of worship by simply watching virtually. And that might mean you know, encouraging someone to join a denomination that maybe isn't the Episcopal Church. Uh, I can't believe you said that. I know. Yeah, (laughs) definitely going to have to edit that one out. Uh, But isn't it, you know, in the long run, much better for for people's souls to have connection at a local congregation, even if it's not the exact denomination of choice? And I think that comes from the leadership. You know, it's, you know, they just had sort of permission or encouragement to say, you know, we love you so much. You've meant so much to our, our church over the year. But I think over the years. But I think, you know, I'd really encourage you to see what you can find in your local area so that you can have the the blessings that you found in our local church, uh, wherever you're living now. Now, I want to return to the question of discerning how and what to do in the future. And as, um, as things develop in our local context, in terms of, of, um, pandemic and vaccinations and, and people's worries and other things. I know that you have done a lot of thinking um, about digital ministry, or you have a lot of, uh, you you came with a lot of natural skepticism um, uh, about digital ministry, weighing it against the known risks and drawbacks of, of digital engagement and screen time, distractions, addictions, um, et cetera, and the limits of it in terms of the ministry that you're able to do. But I know that part of your discernment process and practically helping it hit the ground has been to get a coach in this. Um, I'd love to hear more about you receiving coaching on um, a hybrid model of ministry and whether this coaching process opened up some creative possibilities for you. Can you tell us about that and anything, anything specific tools or ways that you've changed your mind or Anything that you think would be helpful for other rectors and leaders and congregations to know about that process? Yeah, well, it, was, it was really a felicitous circumstance. But when the pandemic started, I had a member who was uh, or is a professional jewelry jeweler, and he actually makes a ton of YouTube videos, and it, it, this all predated the pandemic. And so when we started getting down to thinking about, okay, we're going to, we're going to try and record morning prayer. We're going to try and record some sort of morning devotional. We're going to try and do something on Sundays. He said, listen, you know, whatever you think you do on a Sunday, that doesn't really translate to a, a video. You know, if you're going to make a video, it has to be a little more 
interactive and it can't simply just be a, a replication of what you do on Sunday. I mean, it was such well-timed advice because I was thinking, okay, all right, I'll just get a, a cell phone and put it on a tripod and <laughs> put it on a table and then walk away and do the service. You know, the, Joel said, listen, you can't do that. You know, you have to make it a little bit more interactive. You have to sort of be living for the person on the other end of, of the camera. So like on Sundays when we would take the liturgy, we'd start out on the front lawn and my wife and kids would be there and we'd sort of say, you know, oh, it's a nice day. I hope everybody's doing well. And then we'd walk into the church. So the camera was like handheld. It was moving around a little bit. It wasn't just a stationary static experience. Fascinating. Like sort of a cinematic, you were intentionally creating a kind of cinematic experience for people, but it sounds like um, a cinematic experience that put them in the place of walking into the church, meeting the pastor, meeting the pastor's family. And then it's sort of like they're walking into the church because they're, they have the perspective of the camera. Is that your, was that your intention? Exactly. Yeah. And we wanted people to sort of feel like they were part of this movement from outside into the church. You know, we'd move around uh, the, the church through the service, come up to the, the, the sanctuary proper for, for prayers and go down to the pulpit for the sermon, sort of move around and try and engage people in that way, uh, just to make it a little bit more personal, uh, make it feel a little bit more like they were engaged with it. Um, and so we felt that that was I felt that that was an effective way to adapt the liturgy in that time and place. So that's what we did for the first like three or four months of the pandemic. And then we went back to in-person worship in the church in about July of last year. And there's no way really to replicate something like that with an in-person service. So then it became the, the very thing I was trying to avoid at the beginning. But uh, what, we, what we had to do was a sort of static camera on a tripod kind of thing. And my hope all along is that 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 experience would feed some people, but it would also maybe be an encouragement and incentive for people to come back to um, back to in-person service. I know that sounds funny, but it's pretty dull to watch it that way. So if Mm -hmm. I come back to service, I'll have the the more uh, personal experience of being um, there in the church. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It sounds like in order to come up with that first plan you had with the handheld camera, that you were really putting yourself in the shoes of a parishioner. You were thinking differently. You're also thinking now differently about you're you're more aware of people who are homebound um, and continuing to provide this service for them, um, which you know they have people who are homebound have probably been really sadly sadly neglected by by all of us. Um, just not realizing that they're there. And then when we were all homebound, it put us in the position of, of being in their shoes. Um, so now we're more sensitive to it. So in these new awarenesses that you've come to, um, in presiding over worship, putting yourself in different parishioners shoes, um, thinking about guests who might be visiting virtually, are there any things any awarenesses that you intend to continue to bring in to presiding over worship, even if all the cameras were turned off? I, I don't know. I, I guess, honestly, I think probably I've become a better preacher through the pandemic. I don't think I'm a, by the way, I'm not an A plus preacher to begin with. <laughs> I'm, about a, I'm about a B priest. Uh, but 
I think maybe because this has given us something that a shared experience of, uh, of trauma, difficulty, uh, that we've been able to grow together as a congregation. One of a dear friend down the street at the, uh, the Lutheran church started three months before the pandemic began at his con current congregation. And I mean, it's just so, such a challenge to engage people. You just don't have the, the pastoral history, the pastoral relationship uh, to, I think, be nurturing through, uh, through the, that, that situation. Uh, so I was, I was grateful for that. And I, as I say, I think I've grown as a preacher and maybe because of, of the, the situation where I was trying to craft something that was specifically trying to outreach to people that were stuck at home. Maybe mm -hmm. that was an impetus to growth. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but maybe you're onto something there. Mm. That's really lovely. Now to close this out today, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to parishes, to fellow rectors who are figuring out how to navigate these digital waters? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably, I'm not a really qualified to be dispensing of a lot of advice, but just as I think about it, you know, I think I want to plead with clergy and congregational leaders to stay local. Remember the importance of the local church. You know, we all know that virtual worship is not going to be going away anytime soon. But there are things that you just can't do virtually, like receiving the sacrament. You can't sing and hear other people sing. And quite honestly, where in our society today is there communal singing anymore? One of the few places that you have that where you can sing and also hear other people sing. Same thing. Where can you pray and, and hear others pray? Uh, what about the fellowship? You know, the, um, you know, we talked earlier about how we need to be with people that maybe uh, irritate us. And also to the same, a similar point, where in the world today do we see intergenerational fellowship? The church is one of the few last uh, places where intergenerational fellowship outside of the family still takes place. Um, same thing with engagement with out, outreach ministries. These are things that are necessarily hands-on. Screens are great, but they also make us passive consumers. And so we need to encourage people to, to stay local, to get, get engaged with their local community. Um, and that virtual church was a great tool in the midst of a, an emergency situation, but we don't want to normalize it uh, going forward. We want to encourage robust, local congregational life. And I think we all have our part in encouraging that and nurturing it. Father John, thanks again for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Living Church Podcast. Catch us in two weeks when I sit down with the right Reverend Jenny Anderson and the Reverend Jeff Bolt to talk about the wild and wonderful world of Toronto, Canada, and why ministry is so alive and invigorating there, and what Toronto may have to teach those of us in the global north about multicultural ministry and community. Also, where you can get the best barbecue octopus. Subscribe and don't miss an episode. This podcast is a ministry of the Living Church Institute. We are a nonprofit, and we would love to receive a 2 to $5 monthly donation from you to keep this podcast going. Just click the link in the show notes and choose a donation amount that works for you. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.